Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today we're going to dig into an aspect of network visibility that we've only touched on briefly from time to time in previous episodes. Um, we've talked about using IPAM as a way to collect and manage device data collected by DHCP, but there are limits in, and, uh, and challenges with DHCP that can limit our visibility. So this is where a capability called discovery comes in. Again, we've mentioned it from time to time, but never really dug into it. So today we've asked Bob Rose, our resident network expert, guru, and uh, person extraordinaire to come back and help us with this. Thanks for coming back, Bob. You know, Bob, it's always great to uh, join uh, with you and, and excited about today's conversation. Yeah, because um, again, you know, you and I always run out of time on our sessions because we want to get into some of this, but we haven't. So today we're dedicating that time to kind of catch up on. I mean, there's still a lot more, but this was a, a this is one of the things I'm excited about. I love discovery because I personally, um, while I've never been, you know, I've never been a network administrator. I've always been on the security side, but I know about a lot of the limitations with DHCP and as devices have become more important almost than than user data in order to investigate uh, and research threats uh, or incidents on my, my uh, network, I, I need to fill that gap. And that's where discovery comes in. So I want to start by getting from you why discovery is needed, particularly if somebody already has DHCP. So if you can bring somebody up to that same level of fear that I have about the limitations of DHCP, that'd be great. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, you know, it's the, it's a key issue, as we've discussed before, which is, you know, to really know what's on your network. Discovery enables that, whether you're on-prem, whether you have a virtualized environment, whether you're in the cloud, discovery is important. Um, maybe just by way of a quick review, you know, you mentioned DHCP. Why is DHCP needed? You know, and, and, and um, when you look at um, a network um, on an IP network, each device is connected to the Internet that has to have its own assigned unique IP address. And so DHCP helps network administrators to both monitor and assign IP addresses in really a centralized way. And, and actually DHCP is pretty cool because it automatically assigns a new IP address to a computer when you pick up and you move to some other location. And so one of the things as we look at this, you know, what does DHCP to do? Well, it, it supports internet communication. You know, DHCP is, is dynamic host configuration protocol. It's a network protocol. Um, and it's really used to configure network devices to communicate on an IP network. Um, it also involves having an IP database. So DHCP server maintains a database of, uh, of available IP addresses and configuration information. And so that's really important. We talk about having an authoritative IP address database. And a lot of that is enabled um, by having the right kind of tools to pull in uh, IP address data into a centralized database, whether it's on-prem, whether it's virtualized, whether it's in the cloud, so that you have a single source of truth. So that IP database is really important. Connectivity is also um, really important to be able to uh, ensure that the DHCP server and the DHCP client are connected to the same network and can exchange information, um, frames, if you will, uh, of information. Um, and then, of course, there's also IP lease management. So DHCP servers typically grant IP addresses to clients uh, for a limited time frame. Those are called leases. 
and um, and that's really important. So, you know, it, at the end of the day, the biggest benefit of having DHCP, one of the primary benefits, is that it's a lot faster to set up a TCP/IP network. It's a lot easier to manage um, because there's no heavy lifting. It's it's um, the server really automatically assigns the information and um, uh, puts it so that IP uh, IT staff don't have to do that. So, you know, obviously, Bob, um, we have a plug for for IPAM um, here because uh, you know IPAM uh, gives you a lot of data, um, and that data is um, the IP address, it's the type of device, it's the operating system, it's the version, it's the username, the switch port, the access point, the physical location, all of that metadata that you get. And that's what's needed. That's what you get with discovery. And when you have that, you can see all of that information and, and pull it in. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. And of course, you know, I mean, I, I also like to point out to people that, you know, there's keep in mind all those devices like printers and things like that, that they're not users. They don't have like a Windows OS and a version number. They have a firmware. They have a, you know, a device model and it's firmware. I mean, anybody who's, you know, really watched uh, their machine uh, as their, their laptop or, or home game computer, whatever uh, does updates, um, you know, they're getting uh, updates based on the type of device they're running. Um, when I update my graphics driver, it wants to know what graphics card hardware I have to know what thing to provide. So in a, in a network with a thousand machines, um, very few companies can afford to say, hey, guess what, everybody, we're getting, you know, we're getting this new computer. Everybody gets a new computer. So we're all on the same model, the same make. And, um, no, a, a real network is composed of so many different computer models um, as well as different printers. Um, uh, my wife's office that I went to visit just a couple weeks ago, because uh, well, we were we had a, a short week. Uh, our company gave us a Friday off, and so uh, you know, a day off is a day to commit crime. And so my wife brought me into her office to help troubleshoot some things. And she said, "I'm not getting access to this one printer." So I started looking at it and realized they had 11 printers, and every single one was different. They they didn't have two of the same printer anywhere in this facility of like 800 people. It's crazy. And so, um, yeah, having that information in a central location, particularly again, in my mind from security, is, is just invaluable to be able to, uh, without having to go check every device, which is what I was doing in her office, because they don't have IPAM and they don't have some of the tools that I've gotten spoiled with. Um, it took me hours to figure this out, whereas I know What's possible, because we've talked about this in the past, with IPAM, I can just pull up the, 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 the information that I need on the device. It's all right there. Flip to the next one, to the next one. I could have done in 10 minutes what took me two and a half hours to do there. Um, so, no, I'm definitely uh, all in on this. But, again, with DHCP, there's some limits. It, it either mismatches things. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have had the case where they're using their computer and all of a sudden says that there's a conflict with their IP address with something else on the network. And that's typically because of some sort of a, a DHCP error. Uh, can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've all experienced this, right? You, you get a DHCP server um, uh, error message, and it could be that the server fails in a network where you only have 
one DHCP server. That's kind of an obvious case, right? Um, others where you have all available addresses have been allocated. And so that's another cause for DHCP failure. Um, it could be that your um, network server failed. It could be that there was a configuration change that affected the DHCP packet relay. You know, that, that happens um, on occasion. Or perhaps there's another configuration mistake um, that happened during a new installation. A little bit later, we've got some uh, use cases that we can talk about. And, um, you know, configuration mistakes are things that can really mess things up. Um, and then, of course, you've got media access control or MAC addresses. Um, when filtering is enabled um, and you have a new device that comes on, and yet that's not included in the server configuration. Um, and one that's probably near and dear to your heart is the reality of security where, you know, you, you look at DHCP, the server really has no secure mechanism for authentication of the client, and it can gain an unauthorized access of an, to an IP address by presenting credentials like client identifiers that belong to other DHCP clients, you know? And, and the other thing too, Bob, is that DHCP fingerprinting, you know, is not foolproof because it can be forged. Anyone can go in and, and forge DHCP frames with erroneous information without really impacting the process of providing an IP address. So all of those things kind of come into play to say, you know, DHCP, great tool, you know, very helpful protocol. The problem is, you know, you just can't completely rely on it all the time. Yeah. And then, and now we're talking multi-cloud too, um, where, you know, your DHCP is getting, giving addresses to devices on your local network. But now if I'm dealing with a multi-cloud environment, the DHCP doesn't really quite have all that same access. Yeah. And, and that's, that's exactly true. Um, scalability is also you know, an issue there, which again, brings forth the, the plug for IPAM. Um, <laughs> go ahead, I'm yep. sorry. No, no, I was just saying, uh, I was chuckling because I always have to bring up IPAM. Again, like that example I had with working in my wife's office. Um, you know, if you've only got 20 computers in a small little office, yeah, it might be overkill, but you start getting 100, 150 computers, um, I really don't understand how people can, uh, it, I guess the best example is when I bought my wife a new computer for, for uh, Christmas. She's never been a big one for graphics, but I got her one with a, a really nice NVIDIA graphics card. And now she's spoiled. She can't use her old laptop, which she said, oh, I'll just keep this in my, my workshop here at the house where she's got her hobbies going. And she'll now carry her new laptop into that office because she's spoiled. She doesn't know how good, didn't know how good it was till she had it. And I think a lot of people are like that with IPAM. I love reminding people about IPAM because, oh, it's a world that you you have to uh, experience to to, to uh, enjoy. Well, well, for sure. Um, but I think also, you know, you you know, earlier you were mentioning discovery, and discovery is so important because, you know, it's it's possible that there are IT silos that are out there. Um, you know, um, that have shared access to integrated authoritative databases of protocols, IP address, network infrastructure devices, end host um, connectivity port data, um, all of that information, um, you need to be able to see it. And, and if you don't, you have a security risk and you could have a service interruption risk. 
And especially if there's rogue devices, um, errors, um, we've heard cases in the media where, you know, somebody um, accessed through an unmanaged device and was able to uh, get into an in environment um, and, and impact literally millions of customers. And so, um, you know, these are things that are important, especially from a discovery perspective. If you have compre comprehensive inventory of all of your data, all of your endpoints, you're much, much better able to see it, to, to analyze it, to validate that your designs are right, that your provisioning is right, to do troubleshooting, to manage and really deliver an effective core network service that's up and running and performing at its highest level. Well, and discovery is something that's brought up by uh, the SANS Institute, which again, I'm sure most of our listeners, uh, um, actually a lot of our listeners uh, use the SANS Institute if they're not members uh, for education. And one of the things that they teach is that, you know, visibility of, of your network, you need more than one method that DHCP alone doesn't work. And they, they do talk a lot about discovery. Um, which again was something I was starting to get exposed to about the same time that I was uh, digging into investigation and response and trying to figure out how to uh, get the information that I wanted. But that's where I learned about something else I'd like to dig into here, which is that, and perhaps the most exciting thing I learned as I got into particularly discovery was its proactive security aspect. I mean, I'd always thought of it as investigation and response, but you know, um, you know, the, the most common point of entry for a breach is, is still phishing. But once they get on a device, they, uh, an end user's device, they start spreading around and everything's open game. They will spread to printers and routers. I mean, we've seen a lot of those in the press where um, even home devices like IoT, like ring doorbells, uh, routers and, and other high-end devices on network enterprises, things that aren't associated with the user are being compromised and discovery, in addition to just collecting that data and making my IPAM a little better, which we'll, we talk about more if we need to later, but I'm really, can you talk about how discovery can proactively help me identify devices that might be at risk? Well, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, one of the problems that we're seeing, not, you know, but more in an enterprise environment, is that network, networks are really becoming a lot more diverse. They're distributed, they're multi-vendor, you know, you were referencing that just a moment ago. Um, and, and companies are also dealing with mergers and acquisitions. And so now you're, you're dealing with more and more complexity. So how do you ensure that your network devices are secure and compliant? And, and what do you do about when you have um, a device that's either end of sale or end of support, and now it's not being patched, it's not being taken care of any longer, and now your network is really at risk and open to attack. So the challenge of tracking security vulnerabilities is huge. Um, field notices that you get like from Cisco product security incident response team or Juniper bulletins, you know, managing those become a lot harder. Um, it's really a tedious and manual process if you're collecting and aggregating RSS feeds and emails and trying to cross tabulate all the vulnerabilities across a multitude of device models and operating systems, that can be overwhelming. And patching, um, as we've talked about previously, is never a one and done thing. Um, and so what you really need is an automated process 
that gives you continuous multi-vendor advisories and updates that have accurate and rich vendor agnostic device discovery. That's our magic word today. Um, and, and being able to convert those IP addresses to managed assets and, and then sync that IPAM data to compare potential risks to what really contextually is on your network and to see what's vulnerable and to really automate that remediation process so that you can keep your network locked down. And I think that's really important that that automation process rather than trying to manually attempt to use spreadsheets to track and cross-reference all of that information, especially the end of sale, end of support information. Um, you know, you have to have a proactive automated way and there are tools out there that help you to constantly keep updated and curated feeds of rules and, and policies and compare those contextually against those uh, lifecycle advisories and, and then really give yourself uh, customized alerts to identify those devices that need a further review or so that you, uh, your network or your security experts can quickly isolate where the remediation is needed. And so there's a lot there um, that I think discovery and, and really identifying those security vulnerabilities, um, you know, uh, can, can really help teams deal with um, getting away from manual, getting to automated um, and doing that from a discovery perspective. is really helpful. Well, yeah, because the, there's two aspects to the automation. I want to pull it out. Number one is just, as you mentioned earlier, some of these are P-CERT official certifications. Others are monitoring RSS feeds. Others are sending out bulletins. Uh, there might be a report on GitHub to you know look for this. The data can be really in a lot of different places and in a lot of different formats. So being able to automate collecting and aggregating that information, that's one benefit. Um, not a lot of discovery tools do that, but you know it is it is uh, done there, and I know the, the solution you manage does that. But the other one then, of course, is okay. Now I know what firmware uh, you know version is needed, and I can go out and, and manually check that, perhaps using my IPAM system. That's that's a possibility, but it means I still have to do it. Having this automated just means that it just does it on a regular schedule or. On demand, I hit a button and it just does it. Um, you know, that's that's the level of automation because I have yet to to uh, you know, particularly in the last five or six years, meet a security team that says, you know, my guys, they, they just sit around doing nothing some days, and uh, it'd be nice to have them do this. Uh, yeah. yeah. Now, there's some other things that I mean, you you've talked about to me personally before. Um, you want to go into like hybrid and and yeah. change management and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that there's another, um, you know, kind of set of things that folks need to be aware of and to consider. One is hybrid discovery. You know, so many companies um, have, you know, traditional data centers, and but they're making migration now to virtualized environments or they're, they're migrating to cloud. They have cloud first kind of initiatives. And so you really need full discovery across all of your environments and, and not only, you know, um, you know, you, you don't want to go into various instances. You want a single control plane and you want to be able to access that either on-prem or from the cloud. And so hybrid discovery is really important. You know, you mentioned um, change and configuration management. Um, you really want to know who did what and where. You want to have that automated so that you can detect and validate any new devices that are coming on so that you can enable large scale 
Ooh, ooh, ooh. Let me inter interject, teacher. Because yep. <laughs> that's another one of those big things we're hearing about um, is, you know, particularly again in that scenario you just painted where people have their own data center, they're moving to the cloud. Their people are making configuration errors. Now, there are products out there that will test your configuration, but those are still evolving because um, even as we were preparing to go live today, we were talking about some tools that we all use that. Um, I think it was Facebook management platform. They just changed their whole UI. The platforms on those tools to, to do that, they exist, but they're all in such a, a chaotic level of evolution that we still have this configuration error problem. The whole vulnerability is because somebody configured something wrong. So having just this management history here of knowing who did what where, that's a traditional question for security and incident response, um, but it also applies to if I trace that the incident is because of a vulnerability in some system that somebody changed something, I do need to know when and why, not so that we can figure out who to blame, but so that we can learn from that and maybe put in steps to make sure it doesn't happen again. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it starts a lot of times with device provisioning, right? I mean, if you don't get that configuration right out of the gate, you know, you're going to have trouble. The the other thing too, Bob, is that there's, you know, port control, switch port management, um, there's conflict management. We talked about um, identifying rogue um, compromised assets. You want to find those quickly. If there is an issue, you want to be able to you know, quickly uh, fail over uh, to maintain your redundancy, your resiliency, to keep operations up and running. There's a whole variety, a lot of industries that we work with have compliance requirements and you wanna make sure that you can pass audits and make sure that enforcement of configuration standards are met. You know, you're constantly wanting to look at performance. How is your network performing? And you need dashboards and, and seamless automated integrated reports to be able to do that, unified reports. All of those things are desirable capabilities that if you have a network change configuration management tool with an advisory kind of capability, you are going to save yourself so much time, effort, rework, um, and you are going to automate the process and make your life way easier. So you can spend your time on higher value activities in your company. Yeah, we're probably going to, this is a great conversation and we're probably going to spend more time on the vulnerability aspect here than, than we'd originally planned. But I think this is really an important one, um, not just for the misconfigurations, but also on the whole patch management thing. A lot of large enterprises, I mean, years ago, they had, they would only roll out patches once every maybe three months. And I talked to one that they only did it twice a year. There were two times a year when patches were rolled out because um, they would get them and they put them through rigorous internal testing, making sure that this patch uh, doesn't break a, a certain program or something like that. JavaScripts were a big, or Java itself as a language was a big issue because um, I remember getting updates for that and it broke um, our internal uh, communication tool. <clears throat> our, uh, you know, today we use Zoom chat or Slack or something like that. But in the in the old days, when I was a kid, we had to write them ourselves. And so we, uh, yeah, we that was a long tools. time ago. Yeah. <laughs> but we had to write, you know, there's so many tools that we had to write and, or we would buy them. They were based on Java. And if you patched Java, you could break some of those tools. Um, but that's just a prime example. And it still happens today, but companies can't wait six months now to apply patches. They get a patch and it's because of a security vulnerability. 
when I see, you know, here's the patches, it improves performance, it improves scalability, it fixes this bug, and then it addresses this security issue, this security issue, this security. Security is one of the primary reasons we get patches, and they have to turn them around quick. And because of that, a new problem has come out where I know one company, they got a patch, they tested it. Um, it was going to take them several days because it was for something that they used for a lot of tools that were integrated with each other. So they had a lot of testing to do, but you know they spent late hours, got it done. But by the time they hit the button to roll out the patch using their patch management tool, there'd been a new patch. And so the patch that got rolled out was not the one they tested, but the one that had been rolled out within like 48 hours of that first patch, and it broke everything. But they couldn't figure out why until somebody looked at the uh, IPAM data and they said, hold it, the firmware version is not the one we approved. And so this data that we're talking about collecting through either DHCP, which the fingerprinting gets a lot of this, but discovery is something where on demand, I can say double check, go out and check and make sure everything is, is the way I think it should be. Um, and, and that's just invaluable being able to even check my patching activities to make sure the patches are, are taking. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too, is, you know, there was a big 10 research university, um, they needed to deploy a Cisco IOS upgrade to hundreds of student res residence locations across a regionally distributed campus in less than six weeks. This is, you know, look, we're in summertime, right over that summertime time frame. They had a small IT team, and it was physically impossible for them to get out and update, do their updates during the summer break. And they contacted us, and they used a... Um, an NCCM tool, network change configuration uh, management tool to manage the discovery, to manage the change, the configurations, the deployments, to minimize the physical and manual interventions that their small IT team had to make. And, and they were able to automate delivery, delivery and, and shave from a six-week planned project they shaved four weeks off the schedule which is amazing and 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 so you're using technology and you're using um, an automated process to save you time and money it's just amazing if you have that capability well i'm glad you mentioned the nccm tools because that's a class of tools that um they're used even less frequently than ipam um, i don't think a lot of people are even aware of them because a lot of the products that you buy they have an internal deployment tool where I can, you know, roll out an update to all of those devices. But those, anybody who's been in an IT for any time knows that those don't always work. Um, even uninstall, um, which is supposed to be a standardized thing. I remember uh, some desktop AV products that people say, hey, we're going to switch to a new one. And they would use the built-in uninstall. I want to remove from all my endpoints. And it only got about 85%. They had to go out and manually uninstall 15% of these. And this, there are 140,000 computers in this company, 140 users, sorry, 140,000 users. And 15% of them, they couldn't automatically remove it. It almost took us seven months to do this simple update because the built in tools, that's not what the company's known for. You know, they're an AV company, they are an auditing company, they're a spreadsheet company, whatever the tool is. Um, you know, those companies are not. Their expertise is not in deployment and management and all of that. And so these NCCM tools are, are just invaluable. Um, 
and and maybe we we need to have a session just on that um, someday. But we are uh, unfortunately running out of time. And um, I want to know, uh, is, is there maybe one story that you would like to share um, from uh, about IoT? That was something that you and I talked about earlier. We want to make sure we cover because we're not just talking endpoint laptops, endpoint devices. But is right. there one, one use case uh, where you've had some experience uh, where people were able to use these tools and see the benefits? You know, the, there's there's many examples, obviously, and, um, you know, in energy, oil and gas, there's huge stories because those are global companies typically manufacturing their stories there. Um, one I think I'd like to touch on is real estate, because a lot of commercial real estate companies um, are now modernizing their building automation platforms to drive energy um, savings, security, availability. Um, and performance. And there's so many IoT related building automation solutions. They're connected lighting, uh, HVAC, there's access control, there's motion sensors, there's power, air quality, entertainment platforms, um, elevators, escalators, carbon smoke detectors, fire detection, suppression systems. Most of these IoT and building technology devices don't have robust network security built in. And so to be able to do discovery, especially at the DNS level, where you can go out and um, centrally manage on a hybrid platform in a virtualized environment um, and, and really ensure security, again, IoT, endpoint discovery and visibility, it really speeds the process of fast threat detection and also remediation to guard against those kinds of IoT exploits and attacks. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you used that one because everybody knows about oil and gas. You know, they have valves and switches and energy and manufacturing robotics and things like that. But people don't realize that in just a regular business with HVAC, security cameras, there's so many IoT devices that we don't realize, hold it, that's actually on my network, you know. Again, the early examples that people use were really bad ones. It's the refrigerator that's good. No, it's not my refrigerator. It's when somebody can, um, I think one of the best examples I saw was what if somebody could hack your network change all of your key cards so that nobody can get into the server room. And then they hack the HVAC and crank the heat up and overheat your server room. There's, there's some many bad things. But as I said earlier, we're running out of time. Uh, so Bob, thank you again for coming back. And I'm sure uh, we'll hear from more uh, from you uh, in the future. You know, Bob, thanks again for inviting me. We got lots more to tell. So we look forward to the next uh, time we can get together. All right. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for your time as well. Join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk.